If you're interested in small business, you're going to want to subscribe to the Small Business Showcase by Kaizentree. We meet with small business owners every week to discuss lessons that you can apply in your own journey. Learn from their failures, successes, and stories to discover how to build a life doing what you love. For those of you who already have a small business, be sure to check out kaizentree.com, an online platform that helps manage your inventory, sales channels, customer relationships, and more. Hello and welcome to the Small Business Showcase. My name is Marcos Brisson, and as always, it's great to have you here. With me today is Tamara Russell from Karina Textiles, a Melbourne studio that sells various handmade products and runs workshops on mending and embroidering clothes. A very good afternoon to you, Tamara. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for coming on the show today. No problem. I wanted to start by asking, what is Kamara Textiles? If you could sort of introduce that and the story behind that as well. Yeah, so Karina Textile started quite a long time ago. Um, and basically, I'm a textile artist, I worked in sustainability and discovered that if you get into embroidery, uh, machine embroidery and hand embroidery and doing most art, people go to the art shop, buy everything new and then create a piece and on they go. And I just found that incredibly wasteful. So I started collecting things from op shops um, particularly there's so many people, their grandmother, their auntie, whoever passes away, they dump it all at the charity shops. So it was really, you know, you get top quality things. And instead of just constantly making new, it was reusing. My fabrics all come from reuse, that whether they're offcuts from people who make things, um, upholstery samples, ball gown you know, offcuts. Um, I find things in charity shops, which I cut down. Uh, and so it was all about creating things that were actually creating a circle rather than we just constantly buy new and throw it out. It was making that end of life into a circle. So it actually, by the time my things, generally they're made with natural products, um, die, they can be composted. So they just go back to the soil. There will be things, especially when you're picking up samples and offcuts, that you know will be actually acrylics and things which don't compost. But generally, hopefully, by the time they're finished with, they've had such a long life that it's okay. Yeah, interesting. So basically, you, you go to these different places where you, where you purchase the, the used clothing and then you convert them. Is it into new types of clothing, into into bags or what are the items that you make? Uh, no, I don't tend to make clothes. So most of my things are either jewelry or mm -hmm. um, wall art. And, and, you know, nowadays I get given a lot of stuff. So Melbourne is still quite a textile base in Australia. So, you know, yesterday I went and picked up four big boxes of denim off cuts from a jeans manufacturer who would have dumped it all in landfill. So now I've taken out what I want and I will pass that through the zero waste community and different art communities for people to use that denim. So they're all, you know, jean legs, things that couldn't be sold. They're ripped, they're torn and they're samples. So, um, so we will all use those and keep them out of landfill. And that's the main thing. Yeah, that's really great. I'm sure it's also very you know, cost effective. So not just good for the environment, but it's also a great way to get your materials Oh, definitely. And it's, you know, it's very rare that I have to buy something from you. And the wonderful thing is that, you know, if you get to know your op shops um, and where people dump some really good stuff and, you know, their special days and things like that. 
and also people get to know me and tell me about things. So, yeah. um, you know, in Melbourne, we've got an organisation, it used to be called Man Rags, it's now called Apparel, mm -hmm. and they're fantastic. You know, people would send their clothes to them and then they recycle them, and that's a fantastic place for me to find really good stuff. <laughs> yeah, I saw you also, actually, on your website, it says that people can send you clothes and, and you sort of mend them and then repair them and send them back as well. Yes, I take commissions. So mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people don't actually want to learn how to darn because I, I teach people how to darn and mend their clothes so they can keep doing it. But some people don't want to do that. So I will take commissions. Um, and in fact, I've got a couple of things coming next week where, yeah, I will repair things for people. I do try and convince them to repair their own. It's <laughs> a lot more cost effective sure. because getting things repaired is not incredibly cheap because I have to live too. And it's much cheaper for people to come along to a workshop, learn how to do it themselves and be able to do it forever. But, you know, some people don't have the time or the inclination. So that's fine. So, yeah, I do take commissions. As yeah. Well. So, you, so basically, you know, you sell your finished products, which are wall art. Uh, among other things and then you also show people how to actually use the skills that you're applying to to produce your products yeah so i teach um, people how to darn to patch to do needle felting all the different clothing repair techniques mm -hmm. um, and i also teach people embroidery both hand and machine so mm -hmm. that they can play around um, and do yeah lots of different things and be creative find their inner creative self yeah, well, I think it's a great initiative to be doing and trying to empower people to yeah, not throw away their clothes and actually you know, continue using them for as long as possible. Yeah, so one of the things during COVID was uh, when masks became mandatory in Victoria, um, I spent a lot of time teaching workshops through Zoom, which I discovered the joys of Zoom, and through councils and different companies, teaching people how to sew their own masks, you know, using clothes and items around the house that they were going to throw out, and we turned them into face masks. So that was a lot of fun, getting mm -hmm. people to actually look at what they had in their house because, of course, we couldn't go anywhere and all the shops were shut. So yeah. it was, you know, a new way of using things. Yeah, yeah. And how do you, how do you divide your time between these workshops and, and making your own products? So the workshops uh, have been very slow for the last sort of 12 months, obviously, because people couldn't come to me. And it's very difficult to teach some skills over Zoom, no matter how tech savvy you want to be, because you, you only get that small square of each person. So it's really hard to see what they've got. Uh, so, yeah, so last year I had a lot of fun just literally doing mainly my own things. Um, as I said, I, you know, I did quite a lot of mask making workshops and some needle felting and things like that, simpler things over the internet. And I loved it, you know, getting back to the studio and just focusing on my own things was really fun. for. But normally I, I kind of split the time. Uh, my workshops, you know, you get to a thing where they're quite set and organised. Mm -hmm. So I can just do the dates. People come along, you know, that's the day. And then other times, yeah, I'm doing my own things. Or... Would, would you recommend people who, because there's a lot of businesses that hand make their products. It might not be similar to what you're doing, maybe sort of like candles or other jewelry or you know, other handmade items. Would you recommend them as well to, to try a similar approach of running workshops and showing people? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like the nice thing about workshops is that it's kind of a set amount of income that you know is going to come in. There's also, I know there is in Sydney as well as Melbourne, there's things like Class Bento, We Teach Me, uh, Humanitics. There's these things that have come along now that are really helping you make workshops so much easier to put on. 
you know, to get the dates booked, making it easy for people to book them, you get your money, everything's easy. And there's also, you know, places uh, in Melbourne, we have Guild of Objects and uh, Workshop is another one who hosts workshops. So you go along, you get a set fee for running a workshop with them. Uh, and that can be a really great way to start because they're doing all the hard work and you're just coming along, you know, showing people what you do mm-hmm. and then going away. It's also a great way to build up your own following because, of course, those people will then go to your website and have a look. So I would highly recommend it. Yeah, I guess the concern could be that by showing other people how to do it, they might not have a reason to go and buy their products. But I, I think that it actually, you know, establishes a, a deeper connection where it shows the value of and how, how difficult it is to make certain products um, to the point that yeah. I think it actually might encourage them to, to continue buying what whatever it is you're selling because they appreciate it more now that they've sort of seen the backstory. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think this fallacy of if you show people how to do it, they won't go out and buy or they'll Mm -hmm. copy you. It's just wrong because no one makes anything the same. So, you know, I can have a workshop of 10 people and I'm showing them exactly the same skill. Those 10 people will all go home with something totally different because we all interpret things differently. And, you know, as you said, they then realise that there's a hell of a lot of work because workshop, you're teaching them a simple part of a skill. You're not teaching them the hours and hours and hours put in to creating some of your bigger pieces, for example, or your more intricate pieces, because unless you've got a four or five day workshop, you can't really do that. So you're teaching them something small, something simple, and then they appreciate your work a hell of a lot more because they realize that just a small hand-stitched picture can take so many hours to create because it's time-consuming. Yeah, I remember uh, I was looking at your ceramics and it reminded me of, I went to a workshop for uh, Kintsugi, basically a Japanese uh, style of ceramic where they break like a plate and they put it together using a sort of gold color glue. And, you know, by the end of that, you know, I definitely wasn't thinking that, oh, wow, I should go and try to sell these myself. So it was more just, I was in awe of how difficult it is to do this stuff. And really made me appreciate that more. And now when I see one, I, you know, I think I'm more inclined to actually buy one uh, than previously, where now I I understand the process of making it. Yeah. And a lot of people look at things and don't realize the 20, 30 hours behind it. You know, my Kintsugi pieces, which are textile Kintsugi, so they're not just the ceramic and gold. Each piece that's broken, it has to be sanded back. Each piece is coloured in fabric, it's sewn together, it's stitched over. You know, it's a really time-consuming process. Plus, once you break something, for some reason, there is always one piece that never fits back in. It's like, what? (laughs) So, yeah, it's, um, I think, you know, workshops do help people appreciate that it's not easy. And I'm sure that's why, you know, a lot of pottery studios do really well with their workshops because people look at it and go, well, it's just a round pot, it'll be easy. Mm-hmm. And six weeks after doing a course, they still can't get a round pot. And they realise that's what you're paying for. <laughs> yeah, I think it took me quite a while. I, I did a course a few years back and yeah, it's definitely more difficult to make a, a nice plate yeah, or even just yeah. like a regular cup. It's surprisingly challenging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting them round is very difficult. So, yeah. And so I think, you know, there will always be people who do not want to show people how mm-hmm. they do things. And that's fine. But as I say, you know, you have 10 people in a group, they never come out with the same thing. It doesn't happen. I think also, like, I've noticed this where there's a lot of brands that have been showing more behind the scenes videos or images uh, on social media and on their websites, where, like, just when I've seen them and then 
thinking about the ones that don't do that. Uh, for me, at least, and I think for a lot of people, you know, they resonate more with the one that actually shows the behind the scenes than the one that just shows the finished product. Because a lot of people, when they see the product, they think about it. Building a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And people like a relationship. Yeah. Because it sells the story, basically, uh, which I think is the most effective uh, a part of you know, that the sort of marketing. And I wanted to ask as well, so Karina is a very interesting name. For those of you who aren't seeing that at the moment, it's spelled K-A-R-H-I-N-A. But what's the inspiration behind that? When I first started Karina, it was when domain names were coming in. Um, and so I wanted a domain name for my name, Tamara, or Tamara Russell. And they were all taken. Because in those days, you only got .com or .comau. And they were taken. All Everything was taken. So then it was working it out. And so it's my children's names. So it's Katia, Rhiannon, Natasha. Oh, wow. So that's where Karina came from. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, actually. Nice fit. The website was available. <laughs> That's the main thing, you know. Yeah, we, we had we had a similar uh, challenge as well. We had to tweak our name to you know, get the URL. Like, it's, it's surprisingly annoying when you have everything ready. And then, like in your case, you know, tomorrow, Russell, and then you go and say, oh, gee, it's already taken. And the thing is that, you know, changing it an awful lot to, or just keeping your name and then getting a, you know, random end to your domain most people will put in whatever your business is, .com. Yeah. And so, you know, it will automatically then come up to .com AU, but it doesn't come up to necessarily dot, you know, Fred and Mabel or whatever. Yeah. So I definitely wanted to keep a .com. Yeah, because there's a lot of you know, customized endings for URL these days. Um, right. I definitely agree. Yeah, yeah. So many things now come through. So, yeah. So that was why. Yeah. And then so you basically, because I, I saw on the website that you, you were working in government on sustainability for quite a while. And then so is that sort yeah. of where this Karina Textiles began, you know, like the concept of it started or was it you know, before that? Um, before. So I have made the, my, my own clothes and been taught to mend by a very, very crafty mother. My mother is an, was an amazing broiderer. She made everything. So since I was very, very small, I had that being shown to me all the time. By the time I was in my early teens, so, you know, 10, 11, I was making my own clothes with my mother and going through. So, so textiles have always been a very important part of my life um, and repair has always been important. My father was an engineer who fixed everything. Um, and, you know, my mother was loved textiles, so she fixed all our clothes and things. So that whole mending ethos, sustainable living was always there. And then when I had children, I lived in the UK at the time, and I became very frustrated by we lived in a small village and people would get in their cars, put their kids in and drive around the corner and drop them off at the primary school, which I just found absolutely <laughs> appalling. <laughs> So I started working with the local council and then it went into their federal government to teach people that walking was actually safe and setting up uh, walking school buses. And then we went on to teach children how to ride their bikes and how to look after their bikes and trying to get people back on the streets out of cars. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so I did that over there for a long time, setting up lots of systems and then came back to Australia and ended up working in federal government in Canberra um, on energy efficiency for both business and then for households. 
And we used to have a, a website, which has gone now, called livinggreener.gov.au, and it had loads of case studies and great stuff on. That's an interesting trajectory. Yeah, well, and it was once this, uh, well, the Australian government decided that climate change wasn't an issue and got rid of the department, and that's when I left government, so, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, these days, there's really no excuse for businesses to not have that front and centre. Yeah, and it's it doesn't have to be as difficult as people want to make out. You know, we're at a stage now where our population in the world is so huge that we can't stop it. But what we can do is slow. And people will go, it's very glib to say every little bit helps, but it mm-hmm. does, you know, because all the people talk about it and make small changes in their lives. And you know, stop this roller coaster of just buying and buying and buying. The better it makes it for our children and our grandchildren, which I think is really important. Do you think that society has been improving towards that direction at the moment? Have you seen a change since you've left government, or you think it's still more of the same? Well, it's changed in areas. Um, I live in Brunswick in Melbourne, which is kind of a greenies area. But, you know, if I go out to my brother lives in a country town in New South Wales and, you know, he's pretty good, but some of the people around are, are, I don't know, shuttered, I suppose, is the word. They're not really willing to see the issue. You know, you go to any shopping centre in any capital city on a Saturday and where we've still got families who that is a family outing is to go shopping. I mean, that is a problem. (laughs) You know, once when I grew up, you had a family outing, you got in the car or you went out for a walk or you went to, you know, the beach or you did something, you didn't go to a shopping centre. Yeah, exactly. So this whole idea that so many people have that it's just okay because I'm only buying one, you know, where we've got companies whose whole advertising campaign is you can get it cheap. It's a problem. Mm -hmm. I think the challenge is that a lot of people you know, resonate pretty much primarily with, with the price. And quite often it's hard to compete with cheap plastics yeah. um, and you know, cheap mass manufactured products where I think there's more and more people who are paying the premium of sustainability. I think it's actually coming down a lot. Even in cases, it's, it's the same. When I left and had my first home, you know, we had milk crates and you went and got your grandma's old sofa mm. or you went to the op shop and got a load of crap. And it was fine. And that's what you did. And you covered it and you painted it and you did all that. Mm -hmm. Now when we've got people moving out of home and they want the perfect sofa and they want the perfect fridge and, you know, all these things, so they go and buy them new, but they can't afford very expensive, so they buy cheap stuff that breaks. Yeah. Whereas if they went secondhand for the same price, they'd get something solid that would last. And so it's this perception too that you know we have we we live in a society where everyone thinks that we're all entitled to having this perfect home and a perfect life, and it's just not the case. <laughs> yeah, but I think you could still you know live that vision of a life without having to buy these very damaging products because you know, on the secondhand market there's things there that are that are really great where I think a lot of people they just sort of they, there's like a stigma around it where they only want brand new, but really you know, a lot of times there's not much difference. Even I'm sure if there was a store that like only sold secondhand that didn't even mention it, people would not even you know, think twice about it. They'd probably say, oh, I've just got this brand new thing. It's great. Well, it's like, you know, most of our my furniture came from the tip. In the days when you were allowed to go to the tip and people would dump stuff there and then other people like me would come along and take it or you'd go to auction houses. 
you know, now we've got hard waste, which you get so many good things off hard waste. So most of my furniture is all solid oak and it's really solid stuff that will, you know, it's already lasted 100 years and it will probably go on another 50 or 100 or whatever instead of the Ikea things that, you know, three months later they're wobbling. <laughs> no, I think it's a big challenge, but I mean, in my, from my experience, it seems that there's a lot more focus around it, particularly with the businesses that we work with. It seems that everyone who's using our software um, and, and, and using the Kaizen Tree platform, which we have, is a, very much a primarily sustainable business, whether they're either just using products that are sustainably sourced or they're selling something that's an alternative to something that is highly wasteful. Yeah. Uh, which I think is great. And that's really what we strive on our side, you know, trying to help people maximize their resources and maximizing their time. But yeah, so we essentially, you know, we're very much focused around trying to help people do the most with what they have and and not be wasteful. Yeah, which is a great ethos. You can see the changes happening when you go into, you know, one of Coles or Woolworths now, and they're starting to have the vegan food, they're Mm -hmm. starting to have the refillable containers, you know, plastics going I think it's Coles, is it, who are getting rid of all their plastic straws and things like that. So you know that people are starting to demand this when those large corporations who really don't give a monkeys, but they change because they have to. Yeah, I completely agree. It's like at McDonald's, they replace the plastic straws with the paper ones here. And it's funny you mentioned that about about the vegetarian vegans. I was actually in, in Woolies uh, the day before yesterday, and I noticed that they had, all, like they had, you know, half the, the aisle ends where they have the specials were all on that because it, it got a lot of traffic, like a lot of attention on this in this section yeah. of the store. They were pretty much all vegan vegetarian foods. And I would say they would not have that there unless it was working. So I think that's really showing people. Oh, yeah. And the fact that they're branding it with their own branding now. Yeah. Because for a long time they had, I mean, like they were still companies owned by Woolworths and Coles, but they had quite different names. Whereas yeah. now I notice more and more of it actually has the Coles or Woolworths logo. No, I, I think it's great to see that the bigger players are, are focusing on it. For one of them to do something, you know, the impact is huge compared to, you know, just one person. Oh, and it makes it all affordable. Yeah, so much more affordable. It's things like, you know, if you look at coconut yogurt. So coconut yogurt to get a 500 gram tub about three years ago would have cost you $10, $12. Yeah. So now you can get it for about 5 or $6. And that's what, you know, big people coming in makes it so that the dairies and things can make it much more affordable. Yeah, it's actually interesting you mentioned that my uh, my auntie in Spain, um, half Spanish, she started a, a coconut yogurt business, which is going quite well at the moment. Um, so they're trying to replace people's use of dairy where they didn't have a lot of it there before. I mean, here now you go to Coles or Wilworths and there's heaps of different different varieties. I feel like this the, the, the consistency is not quite there yet. It seems like they don't taste as good here, I've struggled to find a good one. Yeah, no, they're still a bit sort of sweet and gooey, but, you know. Yeah, it's like there. you put the spoon in and take it out, and then it holds the structure, where I think it's just, it just it's almost there. You know, they're, they're getting it, but it's almost, yeah. So if you know any good ones, you know, please let me know. I'll be trying to find one. Yeah, no, I just keep going through. Well, we have, we're very, I'm very lucky here. We have one of the best IGAs for yogurt. So they have, you know, lots of, they have actually goat and sheep yogurts and things like that as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm just working my way through them at the moment because I think now there's about three different coconut ones. So. <laughs> well, yeah, let me know what, uh, what, yeah. what your findings are with that. I know I'll check <laughs> okay. it out. Yeah, so I guess to wrap up here, because we're running out of time, so whereabouts can our listeners find you? And do you have any events coming up that people should stay tuned to hear about? Yeah, so um, my website is karina.com. So it's just the name of my business.com. 
Um, and I regularly post workshops on my website. Uh, like tomorrow I have a machine embroidery one happening. Um, and the other thing that's really anyone in Victoria or Melbourne is we've got the Zero Waste Festival coming up. It was supposed to be a couple of weeks ago in lockdown and we're hoping we'll do it at the end of uh, July. Mm -hmm. But that's zerowastevictoria.org.au. Um, if they want to keep an eye on that, I'll be there and we'll be doing a mending circle so people can bring along their clothes and there'll be a load of volunteers there. Well, hopefully there'll be a load um, to help show them how to mend things and to mend for them. Um, I also sell on my website kits that, you know, have everything in them that you need for darning or needle felting, which people can have a go at. Um, I'll have those at the Zero Waste Festival on my website and all my jewelry and things handbags everything on there perfect so it'd be great if everyone had a look but we'll tag you and we'll share you know your, your platforms with everyone here yeah yeah i'm on instagram and all those perfect yeah. all right well yeah th thank you for coming today and i hope you have a, a great afternoon yeah definitely well, very wet one here <laughs> but yeah thank you very much it was great to meet you right, thank you enjoy your day you too thank you for listening to the small business showcase if you liked the episode, be sure to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you don't miss out on the next one. The discussion continues online. Head over to kaizentree.com articles to share your thoughts on today's show and to read some of our articles which cover useful topics, such as what to do about Apple's new iOS update. For more from Kaizentree, follow our Instagram at kaizentree or visit our website www.kaizentree.com. That's www.kaizentree.com. K-A-I-Z-N-T-R-E-E dot -E -E com.